Amen. What we're going to do right now is pick up again this series entitled First Things First. And what's behind it is this idea, not just an idea, it's right from the Word of God, that God is a God, we just pray that, God wants to bless us. Nobody made him send his only son to the earth. Nobody made him do what he did. He did what he did because he wanted to do this. Ephesians chapter 1 says that he did that so that we could appear before him holy and without blame in love. And in love he predestined us. Don't get hung up on that word. He planned ahead for all of us to be adopted as his sons according to the good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure. It pleased him to do what he did to the praise of the glory of His grace. Later on it says, which He made to abound. This was God's idea because He loves us. He wants to bless us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul having talked about what He did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, just begins to, this, this momentum wells up in Him. And He talks about how that He pre-planned for us ahead of time and whom He pre-planned, He called, whom He called, He justified, whom He justified, He's glorified. Then Paul says, what shall we say to this? If God's for us, us, who could possibly be against us? He, if he spared not his only son, begotten son, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? So God's not holding anything back. It's very clear from the, in the Bible that God has held nothing back. He is generous. He is, he is loving. He has made us the apple of His eye. You are special to Him. And the, the reality, that, the fact that that's not real to us is because we can just sit here and say, oh, that's nice. Because we don't really know that. How much He loves us and wants to demonstrate His love and His graciousness and His generosity. The, the New Testament is saturated with the reality of God's grace and love towards us. You say, well, how come I'm not experiencing more of it? Well, what we began to realize is God has ordained a certain order to things. And very often when things are not working right in our life or we're not walking in the fullness of what God's blessing is, is because somewhere something's out of order. And that may not be why, but it's the first place to look, the first place to start. I remember years ago, um, we were on vacation. We had a big blue station wagon and, and we were up in somewhere up in New, in New Hampshire and uh, I, we, it, was, it had rained and we were coming down off this mountain and the car kind of went off the road a little bit into the, into the side and then got back up on the road and I was able to adjust it and we're going down the highway and, and the car is going like this and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what's wrong with the car now? Oh, you know how your mind can run, you know, in dollars and cents and where are we going to do when that car's got to be on the lift and you've got to rebuild the front of the car and your mind just goes to all this stuff. So we found the gas station, pulled it, put it on the lift and the guy just went inside and went, what had happened is my right front tire picked up mud. So it was out of balance. So it was going like this while the car's trying to hold it down. So it was out of balance because something was out of order in the wheel, in the balance of the wheel. And when it gets out of balance, it doesn't operate right and things begin to shake in our life. So we begin to look that God has an order for things. We spent a lot of time talking about that and, and, and then we talked about the fact that this is not so much a legalistic thing of what we, can, what we do, but it's the priorities of our heart and that's what's so important. It's the priorities of our heart. And so we began to look at this first priority and we went to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the 10 commandments, the 10 instructions, the 10 priorities that God gives to the church. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 3, you shall have, because of that, this is the first priority, you shall have no other gods before me. We talked about the fact that they had just come out of Egypt, which had thousands of gods. For every need they had, every desire they had, they had a god. They looked at some idol, some principle of nature to be a god to them, and they put their faith and trust in that. And Jehovah is saying, no, if you're going to walk with me to be my people, you've got to understand this. There can be no other gods before me. A god is anything that you put in your heart that you trust in and look to above him. And he's saying we can't have none above him. So it's an issue of the heart more than anything else. 
Otherwise, we get caught up in legalism. Could I, should I do this? Can I do this? The question is, where is your heart? What's first in your heart? So last time we talked about this, we began to talk, take it out of the theology and out of just the ideas and concepts and begin to look at where the issues are in our life where this becomes a challenge. And the title of the one several weeks ago was Where the Rubber Hits the Road. And that expression, we understand, means where, where the principle hits the reality of our life. The, the, the reason your car had traction to get here is because every, so, every time your, car, your tire turned, the tire had a grip on the road. The rubber hit the road, and that's where the reality hits. So what we're talking about is those issues, because it's about the heart, those issues of life that have a tendency to work their way into that place in our heart that belongs to God, that first place in our heart. And these are emotional things because we have emotional ties invested in them. These are not just abstract ideas. This is why it's important to talk about these two main areas. And really I found if you get these two main areas straight, everything else sort of falls into line. So they can be kind of personal issues with us. And what we talked about two weeks ago or three weeks ago was family. And where are family rates in our heart? And you know, as I shared with you back then, because we have a school here that... Teachers have to deal with not just the children, but the parents. And many times, they have more trouble with the parents than they do with the children because my little precious angel would never do that (laughs) until they get out of your sight. And that's where the rubber hits the road. And then what happens is we see attitudes in parents' hearts towards, you know, here you've got a teacher that's been doing this for 20 years and a child who's six years old and the parents side with the child. Well, the Bible tells us that you have to, you have to get hell out of their flesh <clears throat> because without, without some discipline in their lives, a child, their nature, their, their fallen nature, <clears throat> even if they're saved, they've still got flesh that wants to do what it wants to do. It has to be disciplined and under control. And I'm amazed at how many times parents want to defend their little precious little thing. They would never do that. And to think this mature teacher who's been, who's been doing this for 20 years is wrong. Something's out of whack in our priorities because it affects how we see reality. See, when our priorities get out of whack, then what we're going to see this morning that, that, that your reality is not clear, it's not straight. So we talked about that. We're not going to go back over that because what Jesus said is, I have to come first. We looked at some tough scriptures where Jesus said, if I don't come first, you don't have any part in me. I have to become become above your family. I have to be a priority in your life above your spouse, above your children, above your parents, above every other relationship in your life. And we saw that so clearly Wednesday night, those of you who are here. The only healthy foundation for a marriage is Jesus has to be at the center of your life. The only healthy foundation for raising children is Jesus has to be at the center of your life. He has to be first. Otherwise, your spouse becomes God, your children become your God. And they were not ever qualified or ordained or equipped to be your God. And if my children are my God, what happens is I have to hang on to them. I can't let them go. If my children are to be my God, I can't discipline them. I can't correct them because they might get angry at me and upset at me. I don't want to go there because I'll re-preach the last message. I want to get into something else that's very important. You ready for this one? The next biggest competition in our heart for him. I'm getting ready. Is money. It's not the money itself. Because money's just plastic or paper. Or figures on a computer screen. It's what it does. It's what it represents. Because we live in a world system, the Bible calls a Babylonian system, and I don't have time this morning to get off on what that means, but it's a world system that teaches you that everything you need and everything for security, your, your, your welfare, everything you need depends on whether you have enough money. Money equates into power. Money equates into security. 
Money equates into the comforts of being able to live our life comfortably and being able to do what we want to do. So it's not the money itself, it's what it will do for us. And of course, the lie is if I have enough of it and more of it, I'm going to be happy. But the statistics bear out just the opposite. I haven't seen one of these surveys in a while, but when the, when the, when the lottery first came out, about 10 years into the lottery's history, they did a survey of what had happened to the people one year after they hit the money, megabucks, two years after it, five years, and 10 years. And the amazing thing is, and with very few exceptions, instead of blessing their life, it destroyed their life. In most cases, people ended up back worse off than they were before. First of all, they never developed the character and the skill. If they hadn't developed the character and the skill to acquire the money, they didn't have the character and the skill to maintain the money. So it just goes right through their fingers. That's what happens with young athletes that come out of a very poor family life and suddenly they get a bonus check of $5 million. What are they going to do with it? They don't know how to control it because that money represents power and opportunity that they don't have the character to be a steward over and maintain. God and money is God's concept if we do it His way. Just like children are God's idea. And it works best if we do it His way. Everything works best if we do it God's way. Nothing works very well at all if we do it our way or the world's way. So that's what we're going to look at. To do that, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. It's interesting, as I started going through this, I began to realize this proverb actually touches on exactly what we're saying. So we'll start in the beginning. My son, this is the advice of a father to a son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. He starts out by saying, I have a certain way of doing things. God has a certain way of doing things. It's called His law or His commandments. Notice it's not His suggestions. It's His commandments. Do not forget it. In the course of growing up as a young boy, do not forget that there is a standard and there are principles by which I have taught you to govern your life. Do not forget it. Because as you grow in your life and you become more of a young adult and then you become a young adult, you're going to have opportunity to forget it because there are many temptations out there to tell you there are better ways of doing things, there are other ways of doing things because the other guys around you, the other kids at school, the other people in your job, they don't function that way. They do things according to a different system, a different value system. So when you're out in that society, don't forget the values and the principles that I taught you and let your heart keep my commandments. We just talked about the fact that this is a matter of the heart. It has to be in your heart. Keep your commandments in your heart. So your heart has to treasure and value those commandments. Psalm 119 is all about, all 100 and whatever, 68 verses of it, is all about the, what the word's place in your heart is. Let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 3, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. In other words, guard, the basis of my commandments are mercy and truth. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Meditate on them. Deposit them down in your heart. And look at this, so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and of man. I've not done this perfectly. But I look back over my life, especially my life, my work life, and everywhere I have worked, law offices, four or five of them, ministry, I have had incredible favor with people that weren't believers. I mean incredible favor. Wherever I went, and I had to come to the stark reality when I looked in a mirror that it wasn't my good looks. It wasn't because I was so handsome. It wasn't because I was so charming. It certainly wasn't because I was so smart. It was the favor of God 
on me. Because from an early time in walking with the Lord, for somehow I began to treasure this word. Not perfectly, but I began to value this word. And God has given me incredible favor with people. And there's no price tag on favor. You can't buy it. There have been many very wealthy men that tried to buy favor. And the favor was in the money. It wasn't in the person. Because when they ran out of the money, the favor disappeared. All right, we've got to move on. Now here's what it comes down to. Verse 5, very familiar verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is at the heart issue of money. Who are you trusting in? Who am, I, am I trusting in the money that I have or my ability to make money? Or am I trusting in the Lord with all your heart? Lean not on your own understanding. That doesn't mean you can't have understanding because later on he's going to tell us to get understanding. But lean on means what are you relying on? What are you putting your weight on? I don't have time to do it this morning, but I've done as an exercise to show an example of this. Have some strong usher come up here and stand behind me and I have leaned towards them. Whoa, they're not here. Lean towards them. But you can lean towards something but still be trusting in your feet. But there comes a point where you let your center of gravity go. You let the well-being of your body, who, what's, do you let that go to the person standing behind you to catch you. So you can lean towards something but not be leaning on it. To lean on something means you're resting on it. Because when I do that, when I fall back into that usher's hands, I am at rest in, his tr- in my trust in him. And I'm not going to do that unless I'm convinced he's going to be there and he's going to catch me and he's able to hold me up. And God is saying the foundation of the priorities of your life are to, this is, they all come down to this, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean all your heart's need, all your heart's desire, all your heart's fear, all what comes out of your heart, lean it over on Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Isn't that exactly what Satan did in the garden? Chapter 1 and 2, they're trusting in God with all their heart. They don't even know they're not clothed. Chapter 3, Satan comes in and what's he trying to get them to do? He's trying to get them to lean in their own understanding by getting to reason about what God said. The devil wants you to do that. He wants you to reason about it. Question it. Did God really mean that? What was his real, and we talked about that on Wednesday night, what was his real motive behind what he said? What, can we really trust God? What's he really after? And this is what religion's done. Religion sold us a God that you can't trust. Oh, we can serve Him, and we can go to church, but we can't trust Him. Because you never know what He might do. He might answer your prayers today, and not answer your prayers tomorrow. So one of the standard things is God always answers prayers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. How do I trust that? What do I know which one this is? So we hold back. Oh, we worship God. We talk to Him. We, we give, but we don't really trust Him with our whole heart. And if we're not trusting Him with my whole heart, that means I've got to be trusting in my understanding because if I can't really trust God, I can only trust in my understanding of what needs I may include God in the process. See, most of us would never just exclude God. We want God in as a resource. We want God's Word as a resource to help us, but we don't want to, we're not ready to trust ourselves to Him with all our heart. That's what's at issue here. What's at issue isn't money. What's at issue is our heart. Is our heart really trusting in Him? Because we're going to see what He wants to do. If we can, but if we don't trust Him with all our heart, we've limited what He can do. Because in order to receive so many things from God, we have to trust Him for it. And it's hard to trust Him here and not trust Him there. Verse five, 6. 
In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That means know Him, be aware of Him, involve Him in all your ways, and He shall direct your paths. You want God directing your path? Trust Him in all your ways. How, how, let me ask this question. You don't need to answer because we'd all be embarrassed. What kind of job are you doing with directing your path? Because whatever mess you're in today, God didn't get you in that. How, how good a job are you of directing your own path? I, I, I've done that before. And there may be still some degree I'm still doing it. But it doesn't turn out well. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Wow. God. Direct. That means He knows, whoops, there's a problem here. Let's, let's go this way. Let's go around. I've had God do that with me. I've had sidesteps which I thought, oh my goodness, that's never getting me where I think God wants to get me. Only to find out that over here it was a much easier path. You know the story, we've talked about it before, where children of Israel uh, uh, could come out of Egypt. And it's in, it's in number, uh, Exodus 13 where God says, which we're going to go there in a minute, God says, uh, you know, I could have gotten them to the promised land in, several, in two weeks. But I know them. Because I know on the way they're going to see the Philistines and because I know my people, they're going to be afraid and run back to Egypt. So I've got to take them on this long route down into the southern end of the Sinai Peninsula and then come back up and that route took a whole year. It, God had to take them on a path that took them a year instead of two weeks. Because He knew them and His goal was to get them there not just take the shortest path and the easiest way. But they determined that, not God. Look at this. Next page. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord, that means reverence Him, and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Here's what I wanted to get to. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Honor the Lord with your possessions. With the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats, which is what their wine was held in, will overflow with new wine. You want to walk with me and you want me to bless you, God says? I want to bless you beyond what you can imagine. I want to prosper you and I want to bless you so that your barn, your, 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 your silos your, your, are filled with more than you need and enough to give. I want to, see God is a blessing God. God is a loving Father that wants to bless His children. Wednesday night, um, Jimmy Evans talked about being, how much he enjoys being pappy, or to me, papa. I just love to give to your grandkids. You just, you know, and my kids. My instinct is I hear they have a need. I want to go do it. I want to take care of it. And sometimes I have to pull back and, well, no, they need to take care of that themselves. But my first instinct is, oh, let's go get it for them. Let's just go get it for them. I want to do that. Why? Because I'm a father. And Jesus said about our heavenly father, if you being evil compared to God. Want to give good gifts to your children? How much more does your... Oh, you're not getting it this morning. You're not getting this this morning. You're so uptight that I'm going to talk about money. <laughs> and that's where we are. We're trying to hold on to... I'm not, see, it's hard to get mine out. We're trying to hold on to this so hard. We can't see what God wants to do. Because we don't... trusted to Him because we don't know Him. We don't know what He's like. He wants to show Himself. We're going to see that. I've got to hurry. All right. Honor means, honor means to display proper esteem due to someone because of their position, their integrity, their uprightness or their trustworthiness. 
to display honor to somebody is to display proper or appropriate esteem due to someone because of their position. Well, what's God's position? He's the creator and source of all. His integrity, can we trust Him? His uprightness, is He righteous? His trustworthiness, can we trust Him? <gasps> That's the problem. I know He's all the rest of those, but can I really trust my life to Him? We sang that song, I give my life away. But a lot of times when we sing that, we're lying. We want to, but we're not doing it because we don't truly trust our life to Him. And the reason we don't trust Him is we don't really know Him. Honor Him with our finances. By the way, honor is the fifth commandment of the, that He gives. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, which is long life. Why honor your father and mother? Some of you may be saying, well, yeah, you don't know my parents. There's, <laughs> there's no honor to do them. Well, did they give you life? The reason to honor them is they're the source of our life. And the reason we honor God is He's the source of our life. Because it's when we forget that our life didn't come from us, we become proud. And we start assuming certain things that we're not entitled to assume. We begin to think we're God, that somehow I made myself into this. And the battle all along is to keep reminding mankind, you don't have anything I didn't give you. You're not God. I am God. And I have given everything I have to you, but I'm the source of it. You're not the source of it. And that's what this is all about. All right. It's recognizing God is my source, not me. Psalm 24. Oh, Lord. We may not finish this today. I've taught you before. Where does authority come from? Authority comes from the one who made it. You buy a new car, they give you a title. Title is evidence of ownership. The original title came from the manufacturer of the car. If it was Ford Motor Company, Ford Motor Company issues the certificate of title then is issued to the dealership that bought it from them from whom you bought the car. Where did Ford Motor Company get the title? It originated with them because they made it. So the original ownership and authority comes from the cre whoever created it. And everyone else, it's been delegated to them because it was paid for or somehow donated. Well, where did all of this come from? Where does God get the right to tell us what to do? Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. Well, how come it belongs to Him? Verse 2. He founded it upon the seas, and He established it upon the waters. God made it all. So God owns it all. There are many other verses. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things that are seen were not made out of things that are visible. God just created it all with the words of His mouth, let there be. And Hebrews 1.3 says that it's upheld by the word of His power. If you ever get a hold of the power of God's word, it will transform your life and the lives of those around you. All right, so God owns it all. Let's, I want to begin with a principle now, which we won't probably get to finish today. But that's okay, it's worth spending time on. It's called the principle of first fruits. First fruits. We're talking about first things first. First fruits. To understand this, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And we've talked so many times about the story of 1, 2, and 3. God created everything. Put man here to take care of it. In chapter 3, Satan comes in to destroy it by getting man to lean to his own understanding and not trusting in God with all his heart. 
Now, chapter 4, we're going to begin to see the fruit of this. Now, Adam knew Eve. That doesn't mean they had a nice conversation over coffee. Because she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So the fight between farmers and cattlemen goes all the way back to Genesis 4. Those are for you Western fans, that's okay. In the process of time, verse 3, it came to pass that both of them brought an offering. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, Abel also brought of the first fruits of the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn of his flock under their flat flat yeah fat and the Lord respected Abel and his offering but he did not respect Cain and his offering and Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And of course the result of that is Cain becomes jealous of his brother and kills him. What was this all about? Go back to verse 4. Abel also brought an offering, but his was the firstborn of his flock. Now I don't want to assume a lot in here, but when it talks in verse 3 about what Cain brought... It doesn't say he brought the first fruits. He just brought some fruits. What's the significance of the first fruit or the firstborn? Because when you get that first money, you want to make sure that you're going to get more. And so the first is important because it's a sign to you there may be more coming. But to take that very first one you get and then give it to God, that requires a trust that God's going to provide more for you, that there's going to be a second born and a third born and a fourth born. Because I have the first born in my hand. I've got that little sheep right in my arms and I can touch him and clean him up and I can call him Bambi and whatever else I want to do, you know. I can, you know, I know I got him there, but to then take him and offer him up to the Lord, because offering didn't mean here he is offering meant I slayed him I gave his life up so to take the first one and give that to God means I got to now trust God there's going to be a second one but if I wait until I have a big harvest and then I take whatever I think I can oh this is good whatever I think I can afford now to give to God That's not trusting Him first. That's trusting in what I can see and what I have and then giving God what I think I can afford to give Him. I won't go there. Let's go all the way over to Exodus chapter 13. See if I can get you out of the Old Testament today. We may not. Exodus 13. Now what's going on here is the children of Israel have been in bondage for 400 years. Slavery to the Egyptians in their society. They've been, they've been saturated with the teachings of the Egyptians. They've been saturated with the practices of the Egyptians. We've talked about all the thousands of Egyptian gods that all their society worships just kind of like where we are today. And they've kind of lost the sense of their identity, but they cry out to God to be delivered. God sends Moses, and through a series of ten plagues, the last one of which is the death of the firstborn, God plans to deliver them. And so in preparation for that, God institutes, which we almost got into last week, the Passover. And that's what the end of chapter 12 talks about. Now, Okay, chapter 13 begins, now that they're out. And the Lord said to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me the firstborn, whatever opens the womb, 
among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. The word consecrate just means to set apart. To set apart as, as sacred. To set apart as something that's not mine. To set apart, set it apart for whatever reason, it's got to be treated differently than everything else. It's set apart. That's not hard to understand. It's just taken and set apart. Set over here. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to take some of the notes I have in my Bible and I'm going to set them apart, I put them over here. So they're not confused. Oh, that's good. They're not confused with the other papers that I have here. So I know that those are different. You can see them that they're different because they're set apart. That's why Jesus talks to his disciples and said, you are salt in the earth. You are to be consecrated to the Lord. We are to be, the church is to be different from the world, not blend in. We're to be set apart so when somebody sees us, they say, ah, they're not like everybody else. There's something different about them because they're set apart and I can see that they're not part of, of those notes. Set apart. Consecrate to me all the, all the firstborn, whatever, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast. So not just your animals. We're not just talking about, you know, Bambi and, you know, Fufu and whatever other animals may come forth, your cattle, your sheep. We're also talking about your firstborn. Consecrate them to me, God says, to me. The firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, and I wanted you to see those last three words, it is mine. It is mine. Mine means it belongs to me. It's not something that's yours and you choose to give to me. It's mine. I've entrusted it to you, but it's mine. That firstborn sheep from that you is mine. Your firstborn son is mine. I want this to get down in our hearts. God's not saying, I want you to give something that's going to cost you. No, it's mine. I own it. I always have. It's the first of anything God says is mine. Now, don't get scared because God never told them to take, their, to take Sam or John or, or Bob, the firstborn child, and put them on an altar and sacrifice them, although God was willing to do that. What they had to do was redeem that son's life by payment for it. But the principle God wanted to get across to them is, that child is mine. You may have carried him for nine months. You may have gone through 32 hours of difficult, painful labor, dear. But he's mine. Now, I remember as a child getting a, and I've had children get in a tug of war with each other. That's mine. No, that's mine. No, that's mine. You don't want to get into a tug of war with God over what's his and what's not his. But remember, this is not a matter of fear. This is a matter of understanding and reverence. When I saw this, it just was a sword that went down in my heart, but it was a sword of life. It's like, wow, it's God's. It's God's. Oh, we've got to move quickly. I'm going to just quickly give you references. We're not going to go there. But Exodus 13, 12 says the same thing. Exodus 34, 19 through 20. Numbers 3, 12 through 13. Leviticus, the whole chapter of Leviticus 27 is all about the firstborn. Deuteronomy 15, 19. And there was a system that God provided for redeeming the male children, for buying them back, and then for certain other animals. Now go with me to Luke chapter 2. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. New Testament, right? Yeah, here we go. Luke 
Luke chapter 2, verse 22. This is Jesus now who's been born. Verse 21, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Verse 22. Now when the days of her, that's Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, verse 23, in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be holy to the Lord. The word holy means consecrated. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what was said of the law, a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons. That was to redeem him back so that they could take him home. All right, now let's go to Malachi. You knew I was going there. Fortunately, we don't have a lot of time. Verse 6. Now we are in a period of time in Israel where they're outwardly doing all the right things, but inwardly their heart is far from Him. And they've been complaining to God about some things. And this is an answer to God, from God through the prophet Malachi. There are a lot of other things he talks about in here, but we're going to pick up on verse 6. He's talking about the blessing and protection of putting God first. Therefore you shall have... You have uh, I'm in Micah. That's why it doesn't look right. Went back too far. Malachi. Okay. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. From the days of your fathers you've gone away from my ordinances. You've not been functioning in the priorities that I gave you. And you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. That's encouraging. Wherever you are this morning, if things are not right, you can correct them and return to him, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? And yet you have robbed me. You say, in what have you, we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now let me ask you a question. Can I rob myself? This is my wallet. Don't tell John, but I'm going to steal this from him, okay? I'm going to take it over here, and I'm going to hide it from him, and I'm going to give it to her. I just committed a robbery. I've never done that before. You're looking at me strange, because how can I rob myself? You can't rob yourself. You can't rob something that's yours. You can't rob from yourself. It's called insurance fraud. <laughs> People try to steal from themselves and shame, claim the insurance money, but you can't steal from yourself. You can't rob yourself. You can only rob something that you didn't own. That's just got to sink in. You can only rob something that was never yours. So for God to say, you've been robbing me, what God's saying is, you've been taking something that was mine. You've been taking something that belonged to me. And let's see what happens because of that. Because of that, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. We're talking about God wants to bless us and prosper us, but when we get things out of order in our life, whether it's our children or time, but in money also, we get that priority out of whack where we think everything we have belongs to us and I can do what I want to do with it. And oh yeah, I may give something to God, but I have the right to decide what I'm going to do with what I'm going to do. We have something out of priority in our heart and it opens a curse to us. God's not mad cursing. The curse is already out there. But we open the door because we're not trusting God because we're holding on to something that never belonged to us. In God's eyes, it never belonged to us. I'm not preaching this because the church needs your money. I'm preaching this because we need to get things straight so that God can bless us. You're cursed with a curse, verse 9. For you have, why? For you have robbed me. Every, even this whole nation. Here's how you solve it. 
bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The, tithe, the storehouse is the church where you're fed from. That there may be food in my house and try me or test me in this, says the Lord. Says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out on you such a blessing that there'll be not room contained. This is what God wants to do in our life. God's pleading was saying, I want to pour out a blessing on you that you can't, I want to bury you in it. Till your barns are filled to overflowing, your vats are overflowing. I want to prosper you so much that you can't contain it. It's just leaking out of you. But you're stopping me from doing that. Because your priority in your heart is wrong. You're not trusting me with what is already mine. You're not putting me first in your heart. I will, look at this, verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. It's one thing if you stand there and rebuke him, but what if God standing there rebuking him? I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. I've had times when something suddenly broke down and we were tight, things were tight, and I said, God, this is your problem. It's your problem. I don't know how that car is going to get fixed. I don't know where we're going to get the money for the new wife. It's your problem because I've faithfully tied. We have. The devourer's trying to devour. You said you'd take care of him. So I'm going to go to sleep tonight and see whatever it is you do. And I've never seen God fail. 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 Never. Never. Never seen God fail. Look at verse 12. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of hosts. God wants to bless us, protect us, and He wants to show us off to others if we will allow Him to do it. You say, but pastor, that's under the law, and the law is passed away. That's not under the New Testament. Well, we'll go there next week and show you that it's more under the New Testament than it is under the law. But we'll pick up there. I don't want to start it now. It's too, too involved to get into it. So, you know, I get uptight. Here's a good answer, question. Why, when we start talking about money, do we get uptight? And, and I got to deal with it too. Why? Why? Because we're afraid we're not going to have enough. We're afraid we're not going to make it. We're afraid. And if I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough and I'm not going to make it, then am I really trusting God? Am I really trusting Him with all my heart? Or am I leaning on my own understanding? See, it's, it's easy to sit in church and to hear this and say, wow, that's right. I've got to trust God with all my heart. And leave here inspired and say, you know what? I need to do that. That's what's wrong. I'm just I'm so uptight. I'm not sleeping at night. I'm so worried. I need to trust God with all my heart. And then go out there and we weren't going to change just because we got inspired. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. Faith without some corresponding action. So God gives us some practical thing to do to step out in faith on what we've heard and act on it as if it's true. And that greatest act, I remember as I was a young believer, I'd never heard of the tithe before. And I'm reading my Bible, listening to some teaching somewhere, and I heard about the tithe. And all of a sudden, my mind calculated what I was making every month because I got paid once a month. And it didn't take long. I'm not a math whiz to figure out what 10% of that was. And I went, my heart went right up in here. Because I was a deacon in the church we belonged to. I was a leader in that church. And because I was a deacon, I was aware of the finances. And we were among some of the biggest givers. And I'm embarrassed to tell you what we gave. It was so small. We tipped God. You realize a tip now is 20%? 
We tipped God. We didn't tip him 10%. I mean, it was, it was shamefully small, but that's what everybody else was doing. I didn't know any better. And I heard this, and I want to share this with you as we end. Because I understand how hard this decision is for some of you. You've never done it before. But it's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. God says, the only one place is God says, test me and prove me. Come on, prove me. See what I'll do. And I'll never forget writing that first check. I gulped, my hand shook. And it shook even more when I put it into the offering plate. Which was stupid because we had enough money in the bank. But my mind said, you're crazy. What are you doing? Because I was not brought up that way. But I took a step of faith because that's what God's Word said. And we've never looked back. 36 years, something like that. Never looked back. And I've watched God take us through some difficult times which are all my mistakes and bring us out so that we're out of debt. Completely out of debt because of what God's done. And I could tell you story after 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 story. But we'd be here all the rest of the day and we can't do that because we have a second service coming up. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now and thank you for the word we've heard. And we trust you to help us to examine our own hearts, to look down inside, and to be honest with you and with ourselves. Are we really putting you first? Do we really trust you with really what's already yours? Do we trust our finances because they're not ours to you? Help us, Lord. Meet us where we are. You're not a strict, mean God. You're a father that wants us to grow and mature and make the adjustments and corrections that we need to make. But you want to prosper us and you can only do that in line with the priorities that you have ordained because you know those priorities is what is best for us, not for you. Father, we pray for every one of us today to have the faith and strength to do what's right in your sight so that you might bless us in all of our lives. And we thank you for that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.